Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Jeff McIntosh. I'm the Director of Pastoral Care, and uh, I get the privilege of sharing the Word this morning. Uh, it's been a while. I haven't uh, shared the Word in since February, you know, so um, really looking forward to that. It's great to see everybody here. Uh, it hasn't been so great since we've been able to come back in person and uh, see each other again and love on each other again, even though it might be, you know, a little like this from a distance, but it's been great. Um, the Lord has been meeting us in these times, and pray for those who maybe don't feel safe yet, um, and if you know of people that way, please reach out to them and just share your love that we miss them, but we understand if they feel it's better for them to uh, only uh, watch online. But this weekend, I have get to close our series that we've been in called Come Alive. Um, it's been a great series, and this whole series we've been looking at two different thoughts. It's kind of been two rails of thought about coming alive in Christ that we've been concentrating on. And the first is the, the basic truth that you will never be who God intended you to be without a relationship with Jesus Christ. That we actually find ourselves in that relationship with him. And it's the beginning, when we come to know Christ, it's the beginning of our true life. And then the other aspect that we've been looking at in this Come Alive series is that Jesus wants all of us. There's every aspect of us Jesus wants uh, to be Lord of, to be leader of, to show us the way. And that includes, we especially um, concentrated on our emotional maturity, growing up to be a mature emotional adult. And we've been looking at that and different aspects of that through this series. Last week, we, we looked at, um, it was titled, Starting at the Finish Line. It's a great sermon by Pastor Trevor. And we were looking at the legacy of, at the end of our life, how do we want it to be remembered? How do we want to, to be happy with what we did behind? And to get there, we, we said that we need to look towards the, the finish line so that we can hear those words from, from the parable, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's a, it's a great, great thing to look at. But there's one more thing that we wanted to touch on in this series is that it goes beyond just that point, that our hope actually goes beyond that. Uh, our, our theme verse has been Ephesians uh, 5.14a, which says, wake up, sleeper. A little easier today, right? That's a... Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So this weekend, we want to end our series with a more direct and literal conversation about the middle of that verse, where it says, rise from the dead. You know, we want to have a, um, we want to talk about what happens when we die, and particularly the subject of heaven and the, and the new earth. Now, I have the task of summing up the entire story of the whole Bible in 30 minutes. So, yeah. Because really that is the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God's reconciliation of heaven and earth. But we're going to start with a scripture 
to kind of focus um, on an aspect of this grander vision that, that God gives us of what he's doing in the world. And it's in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. So let's, let's read. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Will you pray with me? Lord, Father in heaven, Lord, I just pray that you would impress your scripture on our hearts, Lord, your, your words on our heart. Lord, that we would catch even a, a, a slightly grander vision of the hope, Lord, that we have in you and all that you're doing, the exciting truth, Lord, of that you're doing it through us. And we just praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, this scripture that, that we looked at in, in John 14 is in the context of when Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. And actually, in the book of John, um, that's, that section of teaching takes up about a fifth of the book. So this is when Jesus is going to have the, the Last Supper. That's when um, Jesus, you know, institutes the Lord's Supper. Um, it's, and he's teaching the disciples. He's sharing with them what he's doing there in Jerusalem. And it's one of the most intimate and high-level moments that Jesus had with his disciples, Right? This is the night that he's betrayed. And it was a, it was a high-stress moment for them, too. Um, they were confused with what Jesus was teaching them. You know, he was talking about his death. He was talking about leaving them. He was talking about uh, being raised again, going away. It was a culmination of all the teachings he had been doing. He was, he, he's condensed it in that section. It starts from 13 to, to 17, chapter 17 in there. And the problem was that he wasn't making sense to them. Not all the way. You see, they had a lot of preconceived notions about what the Messiah was supposed to do when he came to earth. He was supposed to set up his kingdom then. He was supposed to, to, to throw off the Romans. He was supposed to bring in an age of peace where Israel could freely worship their God and um, have all the promises of the Old Testament. That's what they were expecting. You know, on this side of history, we know about the cross. They were not expecting the cross. So um, they had some idea of what was happening, but their knowledge was wrong in some places or partially right, but mostly incomplete. And honestly, that's not much different than our culture, right, when it comes to thinking about heaven, thinking about the afterlife. Um, there are many beliefs about the afterlife, and heaven um, that are also wrong or partially right or incomplete. 
You know, heaven is often misunderstood, and there have been many different beliefs about the afterlife throughout history. In fact, uh, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3, he said, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Um, Here's some some proof of that, different beliefs from history. Uh, The Australian Aborigines, Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finnish people taught that heaven was an island in the faraway east. Uh, Early Mexican, Peruvian, Polynesian people believed that uh, they went to the sun or the moon after they died. Um, Some of our own Native Americans uh, believed that in the afterlife their spirits would hunt the spirits of the buffalo on a great plain. Uh, We think of uh, in the, the pyramids in Egypt, you know, they believed they would embalm bodies, they would put their belongings with them, they would actually put a map next to them that was supposed to guide them into the next world. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields with their horses grazing nearby. They must have really liked picnics, but, uh, you know, and food, that's right. Um, so anthropological, anthropological evidence suggests that every culture really has some God-given innate sense of the eternal, right? It's pretty universal. Now, the the versions of it, the different beliefs about it um, are different. And even more recent beliefs in in our culture, which, you know, has a Christian heritage, um, there's some beliefs about heaven that we just kind of pick up that that are kind of strange, right? So how about this one? A place where we become like angels, right? Every time a bell rings, right? Is that? Yeah, no. Um, Angel doesn't get his wings, but... um, You know, where we sit around on clouds and play harps and... You know, I don't really like harp music, but... um, Or we sing hymns for all eternity. Now, you know, I know, and it's okay, God bless you, God knows, and he loves you anyways. Some of you really don't like worship, and that just sounds like torture, but... You know, that's okay. Everyone's wired differently. Um, but this is a caricature. This isn't actually how it is. And, and often that these kind of caricatures that are out there of having these little ideas um, make people believe that it would be boring. So there was a, a famous editor named Joel Stein of the LA Times. And he famously wrote this. He said, heaven is totally overrated. It seems boring, actually. Clouds, listening to people play the harp. It should be somewhere you can't wait to go, like a luxury hotel. Maybe blue skies and soft music were enough in the 17th century, but heaven has to step it up a bit. It's basically getting by because it only has to be better than hell. Now, he sounds like a joy to be around, but... um, So, you could take his mug down. Um, so, you know, th- how about this one? This is a place, you know, heaven's a place where you get to have all the nice things that you ever wanted, mansions, cars, good bodies. That's kind of a character as well. Or how about this? Some people see it as an, just an evacuation from earth, that this earth is just going to be burned up and we just disappear up into heaven. So what does it matter? It's just, they just see it as an escape. 
Um, or some people kind of don't even think about it. They just kind of, if something happens after, I'll worry about it then when I get there after I die. Or how about this? Even this affects our, our view of heaven. Um, have you heard the one about the teacher, the plumber, and the lawyer who get to the, the gate, the pearly gates, and St. Peter's there, right? And St. Peter looks down, and he, he really wants the teacher to get in, and he says, I only have one question. If you answer it right, then you can come into heaven. So he looks at the teacher and says, what was the name of that, that movie that was about the boat that, you know, hit, hit the iceberg? And she's like, well, that's easy. That's the Titanic. Well, you can come into paradise. And then he looks at the plumber. He's, he's not so sure if, you know, he wants the plumber to come in or not. So he, you know, or if he's been good enough to come in. And he, he looks at the plumber and he wants to make it a little bit harder. And he says, so how many people perished on the sinking of the Titanic? Well, luckily, the plumber had seen a documentary, and, and he, says, he says, oh, well, it's about 1,500. Oh, good, come in. And then he looks at the lawyer, and, and he says, what are their names? <laughs> no. Sorry, lawyers. I know you're out there. I know. Sorry, sorry. But again, even in that joke is, is actually the idea of heaven that, you know, we're going to be weighed between our good works, and if our good works are good enough, then that's how people get into heaven. But... <laughs> In, in, in another way, we shouldn't be surprised that thinking of heaven and our eternity leads to confusion, right? Because even in the Bible, what we're told about it is in different scriptures and it's kind of in sporadic moments and it's mentions of the afterlife and they're using word pictures, right? They're using descriptions to describe a greater reality. That's not easy to do, right? We're trying to catch a glimpse of a reality that's bigger than what we have experienced yet. Let me just kind of give you a personal example that in a miniature way may kind of explain what I'm talking about, why it's hard to grasp this. Um, When I was a kid, we took a vacation, uh, probably I was around 12 or something, and we stopped at Niagara Falls. Anyone been to Niagara Falls? It's amazing, right? So before I had been to Niagara Falls, I I had seen some pictures of it. Um, I think I probably had learned some facts, like, did you know that there's 725,000 gallons of water a second that go over the two falls? That's a lot of milk jugs, you know, every second, right? Gallons and gallons. That's an amazing fact. And when I, when I heard, learned it, I said, wow, that's, that's amazing. I've seen pictures, and you can see in the picture, it's pretty amazing. Um, but, and, you know, I, even, I remember those... Uh, probably watching a show with those crazy people that get in a barrel and they, you know, design a barrel that can, they can go over. And I remember thinking, that's nuts, and then also strangely being attracted to it. I don't, I don't know why. Um, but then we went. My parents took us there. And, and you're, you get into the park on either side, and you're walking towards it, and you start to hear it. You can see the mist coming up out of the gorge that it's dropping into. And then, and you look over the side, and there's no picture that can do that justice. And then even closer experience, we got to go on the uh, Maid of the Mist boat, where they take this boat, and they drive relatively close to where the water's hitting, and you're getting drenched with the mist, and you're under the, the horseshoe falls, and it's just thundering, and you can feel it in your chest. Now, did I know something about that reality before I went? Yes. But when I experienced it, it was a greater reality. Did I have facts about it? Yes. Was I looking forward to the trip? Yes. 
But we're, I was descri- it was being described of a greater reality that really when you're there, you truly understand. So what is Christianity's view of heaven? Now, like I said, I can't sum everything up in the time that I have, but uh, we're going to look at a few things that uh, are important to know that the Bible teaches about heaven and the new earth. And, and the first major mistake that's often made is kind of seeing heaven as something out there, right? You know, kind of traditionally in our language, we talk about it being up. That it's only a hope-filled destination at the end of our time on earth, so we don't really need to be bothered with it right now. And some people go so far as to say that if you're thinking of heaven too much, you won't be any good on this life. But if you study the writers of Scripture, and this is one of the clear images that begins to emerge, is that the kingdom of heaven, or heaven, has already begun to invade this earth. In a way, we know this, right? If you've been around the church or uh, the Christian faith for a while, you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And, and Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So why do we need to pray that? Right? If, if heaven's just this off off far away place that we eventually go to. Why do we need to pray that? It's because heaven is actually in the process and God has been in the process of bringing heaven back to earth. And it begins here on earth in our hearts. It begins when we come to faith in Christ. Let's look back at our passage in John 14, 5 to 6. It says, um, Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how Can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, when we give our lives to Christ, the the weight of this world, the weight of our sins, all its demands, the silent cries of our brokenness, right? We give that to Christ. And through his grace and his indiscriminate compassion, they melt away and we come into relationship with him. And at the end of this discourse, Jesus says it this way. This kind of proved my point that heaven begins as people receive the Lord through his work on the cross and his resurrection and the gospel going forth, the good news of this. He says in John 17, when he's praying to the Father in front of the disciples, he's praying to the Father, he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So when we receive Christ, it's the beginning of the kingdom of God. We're translated from the kingdom of this earth to the kingdom of God through his death and resurrection, through his sacrifice for us. And in that connection with him, we actually become uh, part of his heaven coming to earth. There's a couple, uh, let me show you a slide from a Bible project uh, video. You can watch it later today. It's called Heaven and Earth. It's about six minutes. I think it's a a good overview of what we're talking about today. But heaven is described as the kingdom of heaven um, in in the scripture. The picture we get is more like it's not a place up in the sky, but it's God's realm, right? It's God's space. It's where God is. So the kingdom of heaven is where God is, his space. And it's where his presence is in fullness. It's where goodness is. It's where justice is. It's where beauty. It's where his will reigns. And then where we find ourselves is actually on the earth, right? So this is where there's sin, there's injustice, that the earth has been 
affected by these things. Now, God has been interacting, but since the beginning, these two spheres where we're created to reside, right? We're created to live on this earth. We're bodily beings who are created for this earth. But because of sin and our disconnection from God from the beginning, God's fullness can't be here. So he had to come up with a plan to bring those things back together. So let's look at the next slide. So where we find ourselves now is actually through the work of Christ, where God is breaking through with his kingdom through the gospel, and where the invasion of the kingdom of heaven came, really, it led up to it, but when it really came was when Jesus was on earth, right? So Jesus is pictured as both um, the, uh, actually in the beginning of the gospel of John, he says that Jesus came and the word is tabernacled among us. It's a, it's a picture of the temple. It's God's presence, right? Jesus, fully God, fully man, among us. And then it's also uh, described as Jesus says, you know, John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So God was bringing back the kingdom of heaven through Christ and pushing away, healing people, and then eventually on the cross, dying for sin so that they could be wiped away, so that the presence of God could return. And now through us, through our faith, as we share our faith, as we do the good works, we're salt and light in the earth, and his kingdom is expanding. Can I get an amen? Do you follow me? Amen. Right? So, so um, it's, it's, you know, that's an amazing truth um, to, to think about. The picture we get through the Bible is that heaven is God's space or realm. Earth is our space. And that the, the flow of it is that Jesus is bringing those together. Um, and we can, we can see that, you know, that we're part of this world and that we're to be living out your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our hope is in our relationship with Jesus and the promise of eternal life with him. We are now part of that kingdom, right? That's, that's our, our full allegiance, our top allegiance is to his kingdom. And just as a slightly but connected side note, um, what's coming up next week? <laughs> So, like I said, our allegiance is to something much higher than all that this represents, right? I'm not saying this isn't important. But the kingdoms of this world, the earthly aspects of this world, the, the best that people are trying to do down here with different ways of governing and different thoughts of how to make it better, they're way down here. The kingdom of God, the priorities of heaven, where our hope actually is, they're way up here. Unfortunately, I feel like, like politics is the new religion in America. It's out of control. You know, people put too much stock in either their favorite candidate. It's almost like uh, celebrity worship is transferred to politics. And I got a newsflash. Jesus wasn't a Democrat. Jesus wasn't a Republican. He wasn't even an Independent. He was from his kingdom, way up here. So we should vote. We should pray for God's wisdom. We should try to think through the philosophies and pick the best one. But I think we should follow John Wesley's advice. Look, he had, he had three, three rules for, vote, uh, for voting. Let's read them together. 
Uh, John Wesley said this. He said, vote without fear or reward from the person or cause. That is most worthy. Don't be bribed. Two, speak no evil of the person or cause that you vote against. All right, I think most of us have failed. Um, No. (laughs) But we should strive towards this. Don't become sharp, and this is what I want to emphasize, don't become sharp in your spirit with those who vote differently. Um, We're people of the kingdom. If things, you know, in the coming weeks, no matter who wins, they've been telling us for months that if the other guy wins, then it's the end. Don't believe it. They say that every election. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it couldn't have effects. And different things make different effects. But our hope isn't in that. And if you've been getting stirred up by this to the point that you've lost your peace, you're missing something. The kingdom is within you. And you have hope no matter what. So if heaven begins for us when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we become his child and a member of his kingdom to be salt and light in this life, the next question is, well, what happens when we die? And the truth is, there actually aren't a lot of scriptures about this, but in our passage, we have a lot of hope. It says um, about when someone passes away. So let's look again at John 14, 2 through 3. Jesus is giving a promise, and he says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So there's a historical context going on here that we could miss because it's a little bit different. But in Jesus' day... um, Jesus is using a word. When he talks about there's many rooms in my father's house, he's, he's actually evoking a common custom them, of them in the first century Jews of proposal for marriage. So when they proposed for marriage, it was a pretty formal affair. So typically, and this could change a little bit depending on wealth status and you know, individual circumstances, but the general outline of how they were proposed for marriage back then was that the father and the son would find a girl, they would approach the family, they would uh, set up a time to have dinner together, the bride price would be negotiated, and you know the covenant, in a sense, would be set. So that the girl was picked, they're all on board, and then they'd be having the dinner, and the, and the son would lift up a cup and offer it to to the girl, and if she received, it would be settled. And they would have that engagement dinner, and then the son would leave. And he would go back to the, his village, and he would go back to his father's house, and he would expand on the house. He would build an, an addition to the house. He would make a room. And it, sometimes this would take up to 12 months, and this was expected. He'd be saving money so that they could have a long, you know, uh, easy time to their first year and prepare the place and he would gather his guys at a time that was they didn't have telephones she didn't know they were coming but she expected them around 12 months somewhere around there and she's waiting for him to come and he would come with his guys and when they'd get close to the house they would shout his arrival and they'd hurry and scurry and get their stuff together and he would bring her back to the house and there would be wedding guests there waiting for them 
And they would go and they would go into their house and they would consummate the marriage and then they would party for seven days. And it's big formal, right? Seven day wedding, man. That's, that's a lot of hot dogs. Um, but, just kidding. Uh, so, so this metaphor is being evoked when he says, go and make many rooms. And it was a sure thing. Like, this was a family thing. This wasn't, you know, we're a little bit looser, actually, with our engagement. You know, mo- most of the time when you get engaged, it's going to happen. But then it would be a really big deal to break that. Um, but the int- intimacy and assurance, right, that Christ is giving by using this analogy points to our hope in our relationship with God, right, so that you can be with me. And we glimpse this in other passages. When Jesus was hanging on the cross even, and he says to the thief on his side, he says, you know, speaking of their impending death, today you will be with me in paradise. Interestingly, that's, you know, the same word for the Garden of Eden. But in Philippians 1, verses 21 through 24, Paul says it this way. He says, for, me to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. There's other scriptures as well that talk about what to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So yes, when we die, we are, go to heaven, to God's realm, because we have a relationship with him. But it's actually an intermediate state. Sometimes Christians, you know, it's a profound hope we have that our connection to Christ cannot be broken even by death. Heaven is a continuation or even intensification, right, of our relationship that started here on earth. And that's a blessed thing. It's the trajectory of our life that continues and that we're with Christ. And it's a wonderful comfort, but often Christians stop there. And that's a temporary, intermediate state. It's not the end of the story. Um... The next end of the story, so to speak, or the main teaching of Scripture is that heaven will eventually be on a new earth. So John Aldridge said this, this. he said, uh, most Christians, and most people for that matter, do not really look forward to their future because their views of heaven are vague, religious, or appallingly boring. Hope begins to surge when we understand that for the believer, nothing is lost. Heaven is not life in the clouds. It's not unending worship. Rather, it's the life we long for. The paradise Adam and Eve knew is precisely the life that's coming to us and coming soon. And actually, I'd add, it's even more than what Adam and Eve knew. You see, we believe in a resurrection of the body. And that in the same way that Christ, who was resurrected first and promises that we'll be resurrected in a new body, that we don't really understand, but, we, but it has some continuation from who we are. We will be who we are. The promise is even more than that. The promise is to the whole creation. That through Christ's work and the reunification of heaven and earth, that it'll be like the garden again where, yes, we live in bodily form. Yes, we're on this planet. But it will be restored, it'll be renewed, it'll be cleansed are all the different images we see. And... Um, but God will be with us. So the Bible is very clear 
that God will restore the connection of heaven and earth and Christians will be given new bodies and that we will live with Christ on this earth. We see a picture of this in Revelation 21, uh, verses 1 through 5. We'll read this together. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You see, heaven and earth were originally united, but through the fall we were separated. And God has been bringing it back together, ultimately through Christ's death and resurrection, so that we could be part of his kingdom and we could get back to what we were actually made for. So what does that mean for us? I mean, what? all right, that's nice. That's a nice vision. But what does that mean for us? Um, well, first it means that Jesus taught us to pray for God's kingdom to come, right? That his will would be done on earth. So we have a mission. We're to be living out his will in this life. We'll be sharing the gospel. But since this earth is going to be remade, it brings value to our lives here. If it's just an escapism, it's kind of like, you know, kind of like throw away this life. But if it's really a renewing of this life, it brings meaning. It, it means that we're to bring justice, God's way of thinking. We're to act in the world that way. It means we can actually enjoy the beauty of this creation in a worshipful way because it points to the beauty that's even to come. And obviously, evangelism. You know, there's a hope that we have, and it, just, it was so powerful when I read N.T. Wright say this, but have you ever heard people say, I am a, a shadow of my former self? The truth in Christ is that you are a shadow of your future self. You will be set free. You will be all those things, all those moments in life, all those moments in life that pointed to something more. You know, we get them maybe when your child's born, or maybe not, you know, but um, no, just kidding, guys. I'm my four here, just kidding. Uh, when your child's born, or marriage, or, you know, those moments that point to something greater, those highlights, those are a shadow of what's coming. Everything that's good on this earth, and there's good, there's evil too. Everything that's good is a shadow of what's to come.